0: This morning, we don't have a text from which we will read because we're actually going to be navigating through uh, two chapters of 1 Thessalonians, so that was a little much to put in the bulletin. So I would draw your attention uh, to God's Word. If you have your Bibles or if you want to use one of the few Bibles in front of you just to go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians. And uh, we'll be looking in the fourth and fifth chapters. We have uh, we're going to be living there for uh, one more week. We started last week with a series of messages and uh, we're going to spend the day there and the next Sunday as well I-, I don't know if you've noticed it, but there's uh, there's somewhat of an unfortunate movement in our country today and it's this that Fewer and fewer people in America, including Noonan, are choosing to attend church these days. Fewer and fewer of them actually have anything to do with the Christian faith, and increasing numbers are choosing just to not have anything to do with it. Two years ago, 2013, that described 37% of Americans Two years later, 2015, they jumped to 40, 44%. So a seven point increase in two years. Do you know what the, the fastest growing spiritual demographic for, for religious preference is today? It's a new group that we call the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. E S. That is, That group is persons who have no religious preference or belief or interest at all. Now, there are lots of reasons why fewer and fewer people in America are choosing to attend church or even identify with the Christian faith, and there's lots of reasons that we could come up with. It would take us days to analyze all that, but I just want to lift up one this morning for us to consider. I think the fact that fewer and fewer people are embracing the faith is because they know something that a lot of us seem to have forgotten. You see, people who are opting out of the faith, they know that when a person makes a decision to accept Jesus Christ, it's expected that there is a change in that person's life. They know that accepting Christ means that that person lives differently from the rest of of the world. And they live differently than they did before. They know that when a person accepts Jesus Christ, there's the assumption that you are laying aside self-rule and you're allowing Jesus Christ now to be the Lord of your life and directing how you live. Unfortunately, and because they know that, increasing numbers of them are just opting out of that kind of life. Unfortunately, what they know some of us, it seems, have forgotten or just choosing to ignore. Increasing numbers of Christians are are somehow, it it seems, have forgotten that to live the Christian life is to live differently. To live as allowing Jesus Christ to to direct our heart and our mind and our thinking and our behaviors and our actions. There's a dangerous Current running through the veins of the church today that is causing us to look like, talk like, be like, think like everybody else. Hence the reference that we mentioned last week, hence the reference to camouflage. Now, last Sunday I, I put this thing on it's going to be kind of hard to do that wearing a suit today, so I'm not going to attempt that, but this is to make a point. We all know the purpose of camouflage. Camouflage is intended to make us hard to see. Camouflage is intended to enable us to blend in with our environment. And unfortunately, that's increasingly what a lot of Christians today, or maybe or some Christians today, are, are opting to do. We want to... We want to live the Christian life, we want to love Jesus, but do so in a way that enables us to simply blend in with the culture around us. Now, unfortunately, we can't do that and remain faithful to who we are as believers in Jesus Christ. And the point is of having this camo and us for that being the theme of our series is that more and more that's how Christians are choosing to dress spiritually, if you will, in camo. Now, we already have information about how we're supposed to dress. We find that in Ephesians 6. We're supposed to begin every day putting on what the Bible says, the full armor of God. You know it. The breastplate of righteousness, the the belt of truth around our waist, the, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. That's how we're supposed to live and supposed to dress ourselves each day. However, we've discovered that it's it's much easier and much more comfortable in camo. During this series of messages, we're seeking to hone in on a central, core, foundational aspect of what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus Christ. And that is that we are called to pursue a life of holiness, a life of holiness. You know, in America, we have a wonderful mantra that we as Americans are able to live by, and, and we're all familiar with it. It goes like this. In America, we enjoy life, liberty, and the what? The pursuit of Happiness, okay, that's wonderful, that's a wonderful creed, but for Christians, we embrace that, but ours goes a little bit further. For us as believers, our goal and our desire in life is life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness, holiness, something far deeper than just our own personal happiness, Holiness is the life that you and I are called to. And we remind you, if you look at verse 7 in chapter 4, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Now, we're spending three weeks talking about, describing what this life of holiness even means. Last week, we talked about, we asked the what question. What is a life of holiness? And just for the sake of... um, of looking back and and keeping abreast of where we are, let me just remind you what we said. Based on the passages from chapter 4, Paul describes a life of holiness this way, and this is in your outline. It is, first of all, a life that is pleasing to God, a life that avoids sexual immorality, a life in which we're using our body in ways that honor God, and four, a life that always is undergirded by love. Love for God and love for the world and love for people. And that's pretty much a a thumbnail description of of a life of holiness. So this morning we're going to ask the why question. Why is it important for us to live a life of holiness? Is it important at all? Well, obviously it is important and here's why. I want to discover three things that these passages in fourth and fifth chapters tell us. First of all, Holiness is important for you and me because holiness is God's will for your life. Look at verse 3 of chapter 4. For this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. Now, sanctification is a big word. It's a theological word. It's from the Latin sanctus, sanctus, which means holy. Sanctification is that process that begins when we accept Christ and continues till the day we die. It is that process of the Holy Spirit molding, transforming, shaping, developing us into more and more the persons that God created us to be. It is growing us and maturing us spiritually. Okay. And we're told that sanctification, this life of holiness, growing in holiness, is God's will for us again I'd remind you of verse 7 for God did not call us to be impure but to live a holy life sometimes I'll have people ask me "Uh, Stuart what is the will of God for my life you know I want to be faithful I want to do the right thing I want to be in the the will of God because that's where I think life's greatest happiness is and I agree with him that that's true but they'll say, you know, sometimes the will of God is really hard to comprehend. It's hard, it's hard to identify. And a lot of times the questions will have to do related to uh, career options. In other words, they'll say, Stuart, uh, I'm in a dilemma. I've, I have two options before me. The company wants me uh, to either, I'm already in the, the Atlanta office, but the company wants me to move to the Cincinnati office. And I really am, am perplexed. And I don't know what to do. Should I work in the Atlanta office or do I work in the Cincinnati office? And, you know, sometimes I'll say to them, well, you know, sometimes God lays out his specific will and he provides great clarity about it. But more often than not, uh, discerning God's will is not so precise, and sometimes it's not as clear. And so, therefore, when we can't sense God's specific will in something, we have to look at God's larger will. And and I'll say to them, look, I don't mean any disrespect. I don't mean to minimize your questioning, but the bottom line is I'm not sure it matters to God one way or the other whether you're in the Atlanta office or the Cincinnati office. It's not as though one is God's will and the other is not God's will. And I would say to them, when it comes to us, when it comes to life that was pleasing to God, and it was that holiness that you saw within them that attracted you to even pursue a relationship with Jesus in the first place. And so a life of holiness, when lived out properly, has a way of attracting people to Christ. I read a letter recent about, read about uh, a letter recently that was written to uh, John Marriott, the founder of Marriott Hotels. This has happened a number of years ago. There was a guest who checked into his hotel. And while he was a guest there, uh, he got some bad news. He got news that his sister was tragically killed, and he was just devastated by that news. And so rather than getting out and enjoying the sights of the city where that hotel was located, he just decided to stay in his room and he grieved all alone. He called for room service for dinner. A waiter by the name of Charles took his dinner to him and as he was setting up the table in the room, Charles noticed that the man was obviously distraught, even crying. So he said, sir, I'm sorry to ask. I don't mean to intrude, but is everything okay? Okay. The man said, well, you know, no, it's not, actually, and he told Charles about what had happened, had lost his sister. And Charles offered some words of encouragement and sympathy, and then he left the room. But that's not all Charles did. You see, Charles went down to the first floor, went to the lobby, walked out the street, walked down the street two blocks to a drugstore where he went in and he bought a sympathy card. And he brought the card back to the hotel and he went to the kitchen and he had all the kitchen staff sign it and write a note of encouragement. And then he took the card to the front desk and he had the staff there sign it and offer a word of encouragement. And later that afternoon, when it was time later that evening, when it was time for Charles to go pick up the tray, he entered the room and he handed the man the card with some flowers and a piece of pie. A couple of weeks later, the man now back home wrote a letter to Mr. Marriott. And the letter said this. Dear Mr. Marriott, I'll most likely never meet you. But I don't need to meet you because I met Charles. And because I met Charles, I know what you and your company stand for. I want you to know, I assure you that as long as I live, I'm going to stay at Marriott Hotels and I'm going to encourage all my friends to do the same. In a a very similar kind of way, that's what holiness does when believers are living it out effectively. It draws people to Christ. You know, that's the way I want to live. That's the way I want to live. Wouldn't it be great? One day I hope that somebody who is seeking Jesus may fall to their knees and they might pray, Jesus, I may never meet you face to face. But I've met Stuart. And because I've been watching Stuart, I have some insight into how wonderful and magnificent and loving and compassionate you must be. And I'd love to be able to live that way. That others would see Jesus in me and be attracted to him. Wouldn't that be great? That's why holiness matters. It attracts people to Christ. And if the world ever needed positive, authentic Christ followers... Proclaiming the love and the truth of Jesus in the world today. It's now. Well, then Paul gives us in this passage one final reason why holiness is important. And this reason has nothing to do with this life, but has everything to do with the next. You see, midway through chapter 4 and all of chapter 5, and I'd encourage you to go read it, he describes in detail how Christ one day is coming back. Just to give you some flavor of what he says in chapter 4, verse 16, he says, The Lord himself will come down from heaven with the signal of a shout by the head angel and a blast on God's trumpet. First, those who are dead in Christ will rise. Then we who are living and still around will be taken up with him together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And he goes on, and he's describing what's going to take place when Christ returns. And he acknowledges, look, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I'm telling you, it's going to happen. And then in verse 23 of the fifth chapter, he closes with this with these comments. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. A reference to holy living. Be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord. It's as though Paul is saying to us, listen, one day Christ is going to return. Don't you want to present your very best self? Don't you want to be living a, a life that you will be proud to stand before him and say, Lord, this is a result of the grace that you've given me. This is a result of the forgiveness that you've bestowed upon me. I have devoting my life to love you and to serve you. Don't you want to, when Christ returns, not to be fearful or embarrassed or ashamed, but don't you want to be excited and expectant because you are Holiness is important because it helps prepare us for Christ's return. We don't know when that's going to be. But I've one thing. When Christ returns, I don't want to be wearing this. I want to be able to say, Lord, I'm, I'm loving you to the best of my ability. Lord, I'm serving you to the best of my ability. And holiness is to prepare us for Christ's return to be something we anticipate and celebrate and look forward to. I heard about a little girl who was in Sunday school and she came out of Sunday school that day. That the lesson had been on the second coming of Jesus and. So she quizzed her mom. She said, Mama, do you you believe that Jesus is is coming back? And her mom said, Well, yes, honey, of course. That's what the Bible says. I believe it. And she said, Well, Mama, could it be today? And her mama said, Well, honey, yes, it, it could be today. And she said, Well, could it be in the next few minutes? And her mom said, Well, actually, honey, yes, it could be any moment now. So she looked at her and said, Mommy, Would you please comb my hair? She wanted to be ready present her very best self. People like to speculate about when Christ's return is going to be. We don't know when that will be. But that's really not the most important thing. For Christians, Christ's return is not a matter of speculation. It's a matter of sanctification. Preparing ourselves to live a life that is pleasing to Him. Are you living a life of holiness? Are you pursuing a life of holiness? If you're a believer in Jesus, then I would ask, why not? It's God's will for you. It attracts people to Christ. It's what prepares you for. Christ return, whenever that's going to be. I don't know your story. But I know the story that God wants to give you. It's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of new life. It's a story of living differently than the world. It's a story of a life that honors and pleases Him. Is that your story? I'm convinced that the reason fewer and fewer people are seeking to identify with the church or identify with the Christian faith is that many of them perhaps have never seen persons who are actually living the life that God intends. The world needs the gospel. The world needs people who will live it faithfully, unashamedly, boldly, that the world needs you and me to help them see the beauty and the glory and the power of Jesus. The life of holiness. It's our calling. May God increase our desire to pursue it every day. Let's pray together. Oh God, we we ask, Lord, that you would place within us a greater hunger and thirst to allow your spirit not just to forgive us and to love us as wonderful as those are, but that we will be equally open and equally passionate about allowing your Spirit to change us and mold us and shape us and transform us into a person whose lives, whose speech, whose behaviors, whose very life is conveying to the world love of God, the truth of Jesus Christ. Oh God, may that be our desire increasingly, more and more, every day. Oh God, help us to shed the camo, to no longer be content to blend in and fade into the environment around us live each day in the dressed in the full armor of God. It's in the name and spirit of Christ that we pray.